Vice President Biden will be the 46th president of the United States. He is now president-elect Biden. We have Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. This is a special episode of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. We're very grateful that you joined us. I'm your host, Jessica Levinson. We have the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong. You've been with us in the lead up to this election. And here we go. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Jessica Levinson. I've been with you a long time on this, and let me say I've never had a happier moment to join you on this podcast. And I would like to tell all of our listeners and everyone in America and perhaps around the world as well, take this opportunity to breathe. We've all been wound up now for a long time, regardless if you support President Donald Trump, whether you are a vehemently opposed to Donald Trump. We've all been wound up. I feel like if you stretched us out, you could thump us and we would ring like a tuning fork. A lot of tension in our country, especially ramping up to Election Day just Tuesday of this week, four days ago. Here we are Saturday morning in California. We have a new president-elect. That was a great analogy for a musician. And you could, if you stretch us out, uh, it is interesting, Joe, because does feel more to me like relief than happiness. I don't think that you and I have made any secret of how we feel about this president. And that's not a partisan comment. That's a comment because you and I care deeply about the rule of law. We care about norms. We care about our republic. And today, we're turning a corner. It's not going to be a magic wand. It's not going to be a full solution to all of the problems. But this is a really big moment, and I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. We have so much work ahead of us, Jessica, not just the transition from one presidential administration to another, but work healing. We hear that word a lot. I don't know how much it's possible. I don't know how much it's going to happen. The next, well, the next forever will play that out. But let me just say this. The absolute last thought I had that went through my head last night before I fell asleep was, am I going to wake up? to a Biden win tomorrow. Now, again, that's not that's a nonpartisan statement, and I do agree with everything you've said before. There hasn't been a lot of sleep in America in the past several days. We've been watching this election play out bit by bit, vote by vote, state by state. It wasn't looking great for Joe Biden on election night as we talked about the red mirage, the blue shift. But we've all watched this play out. We've tried to go about our lives and doing the things that we need to do, the normal things that Americans do, while the election hung in the balance. Uh, This is something that Americans are not used to seeing. We're used to going to bed on election night knowing who our next president was going to be. Well, and Joe, you and I did a couple of election day specials, and you can hear in our tone of voice, in the morning, we sound kind of hopeful, we sound a little bit energetic, and then by the afternoon, at least I sound like I have a pit in my stomach, and I did, and I feel foolish about it, because Joe, you and I talked about this idea of the red mirage. We talked about the idea of the blue shift, and what do we mean by that? We mean that in part because Republican lawmakers said, We can't count vote-by-mail ballots until either the day before Election Day or Election Day that the first ballots to be counted in most cases, those were going to be the in-person ballots. And in part because President Trump has been saying over and over again, you can't trust vote-by-mail. 
We all understood that those would be heavily Republican ballots and that it would take longer. It would take more days to count those more heavily Democratic ballots, the vote by mail ballots. It's exactly what happened. And I feel so foolish because we spoke about it on the podcast. I talked about it on TV and radio. I wrote a piece about it. And then when it happened, I still had a pit in my stomach. And I think, honestly, because somewhere I didn't believe it would be that close on election night. Somewhere I thought there was going to be a total repudiation of Trump and Trumpism. And one thing that I keep saying to myself is, once we see the final results in about, not every state has been called, once we see the final results in a few days, it could look like a really big win for President-elect Biden. But that's not what happens in this drips and drabs approach to releasing the results. And maybe we should change that we expect this huge moment on election night. But here we are. It is clear. It is resounding. Vice President Biden will become the 46th president of the United States. There was a very interesting piece that I read, Jessica, in the Washington Post by Philip Bump. And he makes the case, and it's a very, very important case because we've watched this play out like a horse race. This candidate's leading, then that candidate's leading, and this candidate's pulling ahead. But that's not really how this math works. It's how this math looks, if you'll forgive my expression, which is that if Biden won, he was always going to win if you count the votes. And let's reference the fact that that is the most basic element of a democracy from every high school's election for a student class president. You set up candidates, they go through a runoff, you pick who those two candidates are going to be, or sometimes more than two. You have an election. Everyone votes. They write on a piece of paper. They put it in a box. Someone counts those votes and then someone wins. We normally don't get to see the sausage making of that play out over four days. This is a very, very unique situation in our democracy. They are counted. We know in a matter of hours. Usually it's just news junkies like you and me who pay attention to every second of that burning a hole through our television screens or phones. But here we have a situation. We watched this play out. We had the red mirage. Donald Trump people came out on Election Day. and They came out big for him to the tune of over 70 million votes in the popular vote. And we watched that creep up in various states, battleground states, other states, even states like North Carolina were in play late in the game, although that it looks as if North Carolina is going to wind up being called for Donald Trump. Biden was always leading, but we don't normally get to watch that play out like that. I think that's a very, very important detail and fact about this election. Absolutely. And but in the end, what are we going to be left with? Uh, Vice President Biden will probably get between 290 and 300 plus electoral votes. If he gets 306 electoral votes, the same number of votes that President Trump received in 2016 when he said, I won in a landslide. And Joe, you mentioned this, but over 70 million people voted for President Trump. And we as a nation need to figure out how to go forward when this was not 80-20 or 70-30 or 60-40. Vice President Biden will get about 75 million votes. President Trump will get over 70 million votes. That is still in some ways a divided nation. And I do want to talk because I teach law and I can't help myself. I want to talk about some of the legal issues that are going to come up in the short term and then some of the political issues. And legally speaking, everybody, here's what we really need to look at. Now, 
This morning is historic and it feels huge, but it is largely without legal consequence. If a network says we're calling this state, that is not the same as a state certifying the results. So let's talk about what's going to happen. December 8th is the so-called safe harbor deadline. That's the deadline by which states have to resolve any disputes that they have in the Electoral College, meaning any disputes they have with respect to which slate of electors they are going to send to the Electoral College. December 14th, that's when we actually elect the president and the vice president because the Electoral College votes. January 6th, Congress certifies the result of the Electoral College. 14 days later, noon Eastern time on January 20th, Joe Biden is inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. And Joe Armstrong, I said that live on TV this morning, and I really did almost choke up for a moment. But that is the legal timeline that we're talking about. So one thing I keep getting asked about is, well, what if the litigation drags out? And Joe, I'd like to say two things about that. One, at this point, Trump's legal team has a loss-win ratio of zero to eight. So they're filing a lot of legal claims that are baseless. They're filing legal claims that are, frankly, I think just designed to give their political claims the veneer of legitimacy. But here's what I want everybody to look for with respect to the legal claims. Is there a suit in a state that is outcome determinative, meaning the whole election hangs on that state? And does the suit concern enough ballots to flip that state? At this point, the answer to both of those questions is no. We don't have litigation that could change the outcome. Even if there's litigation that goes to the Supreme Court, which I do not think that it will at this moment, it's not outcome determinative litigation. And so there will be litigation, there will be suits, look for that December 8th deadline, that safe harbor deadline. But I don't see at this point a suit that can threaten the result that we see this morning. And thank you, Jessica, for being the calm and professional voice in the room. I know tensions are high, emotions are high. We've seen people dancing around in Times Square. We've seen people dancing around around the country. I've seen anecdotal reports in Los Angeles, people just holding their iPhone or whatever phone they have out the window of their apartment. And people are cheering, at least in places where Joe Biden won. I can't imagine it's probably the opposite of that in many, many parts of the country. As you said, 70 plus million people voted to reelect Donald Trump. So thank you for being the calm voice in the room. But what happens? I know there's a lot of talk about conceding the concession speech by Donald Trump. I have a hard time seeing him doing that myself. But what do you think? It doesn't carry any legal weight, right? That's exactly right. So President Trump claiming victory has the same legal effect as President Trump conceding, meaning none at all. Uh, I think I used this example on the podcast. I said, what if I declare that I am Queen Millie Millie of Rainbows and Sunshine? Same legal effect as President Trump saying, I won re-election. And again, same legal consequence as him conceding. The Constitution does not require that either candidate concede. That is our norm. That's what we're accustomed to. And let's remember what we're accustomed to in our country. Two people fight it out for months, 
really as much as they possibly can. And they present different visions of America. And then when the results are clear, one person who lost gets up there and says, I wish my opponent the best because this is America and that is my next president of the United States. And I'm remembering how well Senator John McCain did that. I'm remembering President Herbert Walker Bush. And I don't think that we're going to see that this time. And we don't need to. Now, in terms of the politics, Joe, you and I have talked about this offline, that it feels like we are in a precarious place because the results are clear. The lawsuits, in my mind, cannot threaten the results. But what happens to the 70 million people who have voted for President Trump and likely will not get from him that message, which is stand down. We need to congratulate Vice President Biden. He's our new leader. We need to wish him the best. I I can't imagine him saying that. And so from my perspective, a lot of this, a lot of what happens next will depend on how much the GOP establishment stays with President Trump and how much they say to their constituents, it's enough. The results are clear. Please do not engage in any civil unrest. Please do not engage in any violence. And I think that will make a big difference here going forward. Right, because that's the thing. We've all watched this man for the last five years since he descended from that escalator in Trump Tower in New York City. His entire brand is based on divisiveness, the divide and conquer strategy, push people back on their heels so then he can swoop in and be the calm voice in the room. But I have no doubt that he's going to fight this as far as he can. But it seems to me that legally he's going to run into a wall everywhere he turns. So that's one thing. I'd set that aside. But what do you think happens to the Republican Party? Party going forward. It seems to me that he has co-opted the entire intellect and soul of the Republican Party for the past four to five years. It is now the Republican Party is the party of Trump. Where do they go from here? This will be one of the most fascinating things to watch, which is will the Republican Party essentially splinter and there will be the Republican establishment, let's say the party of Senator Mitt Romney, to use just one example. And then there will be the Trump Republican Party, where uh, there is a group who will stay with President Trump no matter what. And they may not want to work with the Republican establishment. Uh, We had an episode with Sarah Longwell. Uh, who founded uh, Republicans for the Rule of Law, um, a group against President Trump. And she talked about that institutional weakness in the Republican Party. So I don't know what happens. And again, I suspect that a lot of it will come down to what President Trump is going to say in the next days and weeks um, and what the Republican establishment says. I think that they will at this point, abandoned him. The Republicans have changed the face of the federal judiciary. Republicans have uh, passed sweeping tax reform. And I don't think that the establishment will stay with him. One question, that was a long-term question, Joe, one of the short-term questions that we'll do a separate episode, but we just want to flag for the listeners, is what happens in the short term? What happens in this lame duck session? And President Trump is still in power. Again, there's no legal consequence to uh, news organizations calling the election. He's still the commander. And 
one of the things we're going to be looking for, of course, is pardons. Legally speaking, one of the most interesting questions will be whether or not President Trump tries to self-pardon. We've never seen that happen. We've never seen a president of the United States try and pardon himself. And remember that even if he does, um, that does not absolve him of state crimes. It is only governors who can pardon somebody for a state crime because states are separate sovereigns. Uh, We also need to be looking for executive orders in the short term, whether or not President Trump tries to weaken protections for civil servants. Um, There's a whole host of things that we will spend a whole episode kind of talking about what to be on guard for in this lame duck session. And the short answer is a lot. That's exactly what I was thinking, Jessica. We have a situation where Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, got dozens, if not hundreds, of appointments to the lower courts, as well as three appointments on the Supreme Court bench. Uh, That's a six to three majority. So he got his wins. Is this a situation where it's a Tea Party situation, where they're reinvented and reinvigorated as the party splinters or not? Time will tell, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about this with both you and I, as well as some experts on this show. But the one thing I want to bring up, I don't want to gloss over this. We watched this whole thing play out over the course of this week, and I kept thinking to myself, we're entering a very dangerous period. Because the longer this goes on, the more of an opportunity it is for Donald Trump to dog whistle to people who are well-armed, highly agitated, and we don't know what they're going to do. We've seen threats to the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, and those people were caught, thankfully. But regardless, this is the hallmark of our democracy, that peaceful transfer of power. I know that's a phrase we hear a lot, but focus on that word peaceful for just a second. In other countries, there are violent overthrows of the government when people are losing candidates, they are taken out back and sometimes shot. Now, I say this, this is, a, this is a not a light thing that I'm saying here. In America, we don't have that happen. And these are the things that concern me. These are the things that keep me up at night personally. Donald Trump is president for another 74 days. Do I think anyone's going to be shot? I certainly hope not. But what do you think in terms of civil unrest and violence? I have never in my life been concerned about supporters of the losing candidate engaging in violence. As people are dancing around in Times Square, as people are cheering and as supporters of Biden and Harris are showing their excitement, do you think that this is something that's a situation that's going to happen in our country? I certainly hope not. And I think at this point, we should be clear that there has not been violence since the call, uh, since all of the major news outlets have made the call. And we haven't heard from the president. And at this point, I think it is too soon to say that we expect violence. I will just say, Joe, that you're right. It's surreal that we are worried about it. But we certainly hope that this does not happen, that President Trump, again, sort of uh, grumbles, says that there are problems with the election, maybe even doesn't concede, but does not call for violence. And that's Uh, completely different. And again, a lot of this will depend on whether or not GOP representatives from Senate to Congress, all the way to state and local levels, say to their constituents, please do not engage in any violent behavior. I think that will make a big difference as well. And let's talk about something else that's going to make a big difference, which is this is a historic moment because we have the first female uh, vice president elect and first uh, person of color who's a vice president elect. And this is 
truly historic for those two reasons. Senator Kamala Harris has been a historic first a number of times, but never at this level. And Joe, if you'll permit me, one thing that we keep hearing is that this is a really huge moment for women, for girls, for people of color. And this is something I want to emphasize. It should be a huge moment for everyone. Everyone should celebrate when our representatives look more like us, when they truly represent us based on experience, because we know it leads to better outcomes if we have people who have navigated the world in different ways. You navigate the world in a different way if you're a woman or a woman of color. And that doesn't mean it's a better way. It means that we all benefit from a diversity of viewpoints and a diversity of experiences. And I, something in me, I just feel strange when people say girls should be celebrating, people of color should be celebrating. It should be all of us. I agree, but I don't want this moment to get past us. I agree wholeheartedly. But let's remember, this is the first woman to be on a winning ticket going back. Think about all those old white guys going back to the founding of our nation. Vice presidents as well. There was one vice presidential female candidate. Was that Geraldine Ferraro, if I remember correctly? Or was there more uh, two, than one? Two. Sarah Palin. Two. Oh, sir. Oh, dear Freudian, Lord almighty. Freudian. <laughs> Memory oh, lapse. Jessica, you, you, have, you have ruined my day. But I do want to say, look, this maybe this is a white guy's perspective, but if you're a young girl, if you're a young woman, if you're anything other than an old white guy, having Kamala Harris on the ticket, the first woman to be on a winning ticket for the president, is a watershed moment for our country. Sometimes it takes those moments to get people thinking in a different way, in a way that you just expressed moments ago. We shouldn't be thinking about this as just a victory for women because it is a victory for everyone. Our government is becoming more representative of our populace, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it is a watershed moment. And that's a big, big deal. And for those of us from California, that's a big deal for us too. We had Nixon from California. We had Reagan from California. We're going to have someone very, very close to the White House from California. So if you're looking at the screen as a young woman and saying that person looks like me, congratulations to you because ladies, you can all do this. And I hope that you do. It's true. It is extremely important. And I've looked at a lot of textbooks and books for young kids and the idea that you read a book to a child and every president looks the same. This is not to take away anything from the presidents who have served us and served us in ways that make us very proud. It's just to say that we should not all look the same way because America does not all look that way. And this is absolutely a huge moment. And Jessica, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about one of the other big stories that seems to be overshadowed by Joe Biden's victory this morning is control of the Senate. At one point, the Democrats were very sure that they were going to take control of the Senate from the Republicans, but it's not entirely certain that's going to be the case. Right now, it stands tied because the election uh, results were so close in Georgia. There's going to be a runoff in early January. Can you fill in some details on that? Yes, there will actually be two runoffs in Georgia on January 5th, and this will determine the makeup of the Senate. I have maybe a bit of a contrarian view here where I certainly think that Vice President Biden would love to have a united government, that Democrats control the Oval Office, the Senate, and the House. But a divided government does allow him to say to the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, 
you know what, you have to stay with me and trust that I can only do so much with Republicans controlling the Senate. And I think he is in a lot of ways more center left. And that might appeal to him to try and preside over a government where you have to build consensus and where he can frankly have a little bit of political cover and say to the left side of the Democratic Party, look, we have to have compromises when you have a divided government. And so it allows him to work as hard as he can, but not go maybe further left than he really wanted to. Think about single payer. Think about the Green New Deal. He can explain to people, look, that's off the table in the short term. So while I don't think it's what he hoped for, it could provide him with a little bit of political cover while he undertakes the very difficult work of trying to stitch this country back together. Correct. For someone who is painted so desperately by the Trump campaign to be a socialist, those of us who have been watching the way that Joe Biden governs for the past decades know that that is almost comically farcical. Joe, there's a lot of issues for us to cover going forward. I think at this point, what we want to say to the listeners is, Thank you for being with us for the full pre-election journey. We're now entering this time between calling the election and the inauguration. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to have a lot of fantastic guests to walk us through exactly what's going to happen, what we should expect, what we should look to going forward. And I, I've so loved doing these special episodes with you, Joe. I can't imagine talk to, talking to anybody else about them. And thank you for doing this. Oh, Jessica, it has been my pleasure and my honor, and I can't wait to participate in the ongoing discussion about these things. I am a news junkie. I'm an avowed and unapologetic political junkie, and it's just, it's a very, very special thing that I get to discuss these things with you and hopefully educate some people along the way, make these topics more accessible. When you and I set out to do this podcast, that was a big thing that I stressed. I want to make these topics accessible to everyone because we have a representative government in which you can participate, in which you can, if you are so motivated, you can be part of that government. You can run for office. This is a very unique thing. You know, America was a new experiment when it started out those years ago, 200 some years ago. So people, please do participate. Stay engaged. Stay informed. Participate in your government and uh, keep listening to Passing Judgment. With that, we will talk to you soon.